0: Hello again, and welcome to The Weird Book. I'm Steve Luciano. And I'm Sasha Abramov. Welcome back, everybody. And we've got a good show for you today. Uh, a bit creepy, a bit, um, well, as uh, uh, different from what we usually do, which is we usually take on uh, more contemporary uh phenomenon or things that have happened recently this one's going to go back quite a ways as we talk about what is called the mass possession of 1666 yeah Um, this is way way back that is true And the reason you may not have heard of the Mass Possession of 1666 is it's not talked about very much. It's not um, something that's within the mainstream culture. It's actually only talked about in uh, a series of uh, or a couple of different books um, from different perspectives. Uh, But. Basically, uh, giving a definition of what the mass possession of 1666 was, was it was a time when demonic possessions all over the world were supposedly taking place at an elevated rate. So apparently in 1666, you know, the triple sixes, um, there was a massive increase in demonic possessions. And we'll start to get into the actual reasons for that uh, in a bit. But... Um, mass possessions is, is a thing even uh, today. Um, there've been various mass possession cases historically. Um, let's see what's uh, the the I'm going to butcher this name. The Ludon, is that how you say it? Ludon possessions the, of 16. 16th...
3: Ludon. Ludon Le... possessions. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's French. It, it's... it's
0: French. So you say yeah. fancy. The Ludon yeah, yeah. possessions of sixteen thirty four uh, which involved a convent of Ursuline nuns who were mm-hmm. supposedly possessed. I don't know what an Ursuline nun is. I know what nuns are. Do you know what an Ursuline nun is? Uh, Sasha? Well,
3: essentially this was a this was a place where um, as you would describe them, the unwed women um, when they were kind of rearing – and they were kind of like they were approaching the the age where they could not bear children or they were unwanted in some ways and, uh, or they were deformed like the, the, the nun and the, uh, the the other covenant that we're going to uh, cover as well. Oh. Um, yeah, they were just basically brides that kind of never, never kind of interested a suitor and uh, so they were uh, often from well-to-do families, so they, they didn't quite know what to do with them. So they would put them in these covenants when they would become nuns. They would become brides of Jesus, basically, brides of Christ.
0: Jesus, that sounds terrible. But uh, hey, Apparently,
3: that was a noble thing guess, you know, to, to have in yeah, your family. I guess.
0: I guess. It's just a... It's- it's what you do with the old spinsters, I guess. I guess that's what you Yeah, would
3: it, it would seems say. ghastly to us right now, but that was a very noble kind of thing. And and uh yeah, apparently there was um, a list and there's a waiting, there was, I'm not sure it was a waiting period, but it was, it wasn't easy to become a nun in one of those places. It wasn't re- readily accessible to everyone. Gotcha.
0: Well, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Um So- in regards to the possession uh they found this con- convent and they apparently determined that they were this convent was reported to be full of possessed Ursuline nuns um mm-hmm. the church later determined that this occurred because of the summoning of spirits by uh a, a priest called uh gandier i think is mm-hmm. i think his name was who was summarily convicted and burned at the stake as that's just what you do to, you know, people who conjure devils and make deals with the devil and, and what have you. But this was a mass possession. This was one where there were a multitude of women who were possessed. Um, it, mm-hmm. it was unclear whether Gandhir, uh Gandier, or whatever, his, however you pronounce his name is, um, was possessed himself. He, he's the one who was supposedly summoning the spirits, though.
3: He was um, what what is known from the investigation was the fact that he did uh, admit to being a womanizer. He always professed his innocence in terms of being a you know a warlock, you would say, you know, or a witch. Mm-hmm. Uh, he always denied the fact that uh, he had brought this upon. But the witnesses i mean there are so many of them i mean these executions of these nuns took place almost daily and 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 just didn't i mean except for sundays they took i guess a break the catholic church actually sent out um a brigade of, of priests that would exercise these these nuns and, you know, thousands of people have witnessed this over the period. Now, now it crescendoed in uh, 1634, but the possessions have, have been going on for a few years before then. And uh, they would subside and then they would just get worse with time.
0: Yeah, apparently there was an, uh, an epidemic of um, Ursuline nuns being possessed as mm-hmm. uh, when, when you get into the, again, going to butcher this, the... Aixen Province possessions, which happened in uh, 1611, which is what really actually set the precedent for the Ludin, uh possessions. Um, yeah, it's, again, it's,
3: it's, uh, yeah, it's called Aixen uh, Provence. Provence, okay. And uh, in fact, the kind of also involved in the execution of a priest who was also kind of overseeing the nuns in Aixen Provence uh, in this covenant and uh actually his execution led to the case that would ultimately result in the execution of the priest in Ladon yeah uh, it was just kind of but in Ladon it was just specifically nasty because uh, the priest was supposed to be given a word to speak that was denied he was practically waterboarded with holy water, and then the executioner was supposed to strangle him before he was uh, to be burned at the stake, but that was not done. He was burned at the stake immediately, and the only things, apparently, that he was able to utter was the fact that the person who set him, uh, which was also a priest, one of the ex- one of the um, exorcists those that performed the exorcism, exorcism um, the The last words uttered by the priest as he was burning alive was the fact that he you will die in thirty days, and which is apparently, according to the records, the priest did meet his untimely end thirty days later. One of those things.
0: Interesting, huh? And that was Gondier, right? There are Gondier.
3: That's correct. He, I mean, he he professed the fact that yes, he admitted to the fact that he was a womanizer, but he always, you know, kept his innocence rem- in terms of witchcraft yeah. or anything like that
0: yeah well, yeah that tends to be a trend with um them accusing people of of uh possession and them mm-hmm. and people denying that <laughs> but uh obviously there's a lot of this stuff that happened for political reasons, but the uh the accident it was, it prevents was an, an
3: infighting yeah, and in an infighting between the Protestants and the Catholics and you know yeah. kind of the the Catholics yeah. taking over as the predominant uh Christian religion in the region.
0: In, uh, in 1611, which took place before the Ludon uh, possessions, again, it was Ursuline nuns who were found to be possessed, and this was thought to be due to a pact with the devil, which was established by Louis Gafridi, I'm sure, again, that I'm mispronouncing that, uh, who met a, a, he met a pretty, pretty terrible end. Uh, he was tortured by Strapado which I checked into which is apparently where they you are lifted up by rope and I believe you are bound by your wrists behind your back so that your weight then dislocates your shoulders and I think you end up uh uh suffocating to death but
1: he yeah, didn't it's die not by fun.
0: Sp- Yeah, I can't imagine it's very uh Good, but he didn't die by that. Apparently, they just did that and tortured him for a while, and then later he was executed by strangulation. But like Sasha said, this was the case that served as kind of the precedent precedents for the Ludon uh, possessions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know those were those were preceding the mass possessions of 1666. And where we're going to deviate here is that you know. Ludon possessions and the XN Provence possessions uh, there's a you know whether they were actual legit possessions we don't know I mean there was obviously reports that these women demonstrated you know demonic type features you know speaking feats of strength
3: uh, you know speaking in tongues um, you name it sexually lewd acts things of that just kind of things that you would kind of associate with possessions
0: yeah um yeah, definitely. Demonic possessions, at least. So they they, but the possessions we're going to be talking about, sixteen sixty six, seem to be not. They're different, but there there's um, there's some significant there are, differences. Mm-hmm. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead.
3: No, they're, they're they're always kind of connecting factors to them. Um, there's another possession that that we will discuss. Uh, we'll mention that the the New Mexico colony possession. And there are some similarities to that as well.
0: Yeah, that one was uh, that one was after the 1600s. That one is in 1764. But that one was weird in, uh, you know, there were uh, – a priest had reported uh, – I believe he reported back to the Roman church. I'm not 100 percent sure. But he had reported that there was mass possession and that, uh, for instance, this woman Maria Trujillo – mm-hmm uh who basically suffered melancholy after birth uh and showed you know um sadness that she couldn't be cheered up after she gave birth which nowadays we would just call postpartum uh postpartum disorder um he saw this as a sign of uh possession also she did apparently showed remarkable bouts of strength um <clears throat> speaking in tongues excuse me and then mm-hmm. there were others in the villages claiming to hear pig noises and sheep noises and other animal noises um, that and, and weren't present. And
3: that is a very common, in, in both the Loudon possession and the Oxen uh, Provence, they, they also heard pigs and things like that. They heard whispers and that, that's the, the commonalities between those. But uh, yeah, the New Mexico colony at that time, 1764, um, that was a Spanish colony you know Mm -hmm. so it it reported to the to you know directly to back to Spain in terms of that and you know the 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 priest basically stated that hey I've got these occurrences and you know it started with this woman who could not be cheered up as, as what they would say basically and you know, they, they put her through grueling tasks of just praying constantly and that would involve, you know, yeah. fasting. And essentially at one point she collapsed. And when she came to, she was described as being possessed by something. She showed just tremendous feats. She was, you know, foaming at the mouth, yeah. uh, vomiting, all sorts of, you know, un un, un you know, I, I don't know, just as disgusting things happening. And, uh, and then it kind of caught on, and it was a few other women, and I think it also included a man that also fell into this kind of state, and yeah. um essentially the father declared an epidemic of possessions, yeah in that region, yeah,
0: yeah, it was really interesting uh, they they cited seizures and and a lot of this stuff like I said, could be accountable uh, or explained away, you know, currently as, you know, seizures, schizophrenia, all these types of things. But there were, like you said, that there were some odd, weird things that were going on there. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, those are just some examples we wanted to give of mass possessions, uh, historically speaking. Um before we got into the mass, the great possession or the mass possession of 1666, which, uh, by the way, I think this is a good time where we can uh, introduce our guest um, who uh, has That's decided right. to remain mm-hmm. uh, anonymous due to the information that she's going to be uh, divulging. Um, we'll simply refer to her as Anna. Uh, Anna, say hi.
2: Great to be on the show. Um- Big listener, and I think you guys are doing great work, and I'm uh, happy to be here, happy to, happy to um, help inform about uh, the, the great possession of 1666. Great.
3: Anna, thank you so much for being here. We really, really, really appreciate you coming in. Uh, and like I said, we just want to reiterate that, that that is not your real name. Your name is being kept um, private. Uh, but what you've got to share with our listeners and with us today is, is very, very important.
0: And, um, Hey, we're all ears.
2: Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here.
0: Okay. So how do we know about the great possession of 1666? As most people know that uh, most people haven't heard of the great possession of 66, and that's because the information pertaining to it is recorded in only a few books. Um, and some of these books, uh, you know, the books are uh, – we, the, the Weird Book uh, organization has access to some copies of these books. Um, but I believe Anna uh, brought a copy of um, Interview with the Damned, which is rare. Um,
2: yes, I, I have a copy of the, the Interview with the Damned. It's um, one of the few copies in the world, actually. Uh, there's only two or three.
0: Oh, well, that's interesting. Um so we'll be getting information from that. Uh, but here here are the books. Um, we have the journal of Judas Bardot, um, which we'll get into, the writings mm-hmm. of Pontiff Calabrodin, uh, the Chronicles of Turgo Volkov, and is that how you say it, Sasha? Volkov?
3: Volkov means of wolf. Vol-
0: okay, gotcha. And then we have the interviews with the damned. So um let's let's jump into it. Um, First, uh, I'd like to discuss what the origins of the mass possession of 1666 is, and um, there's a there's a couple there's various through you know looking at the literature there's various origin stories of what actually happened during uh, 1666. Anna, would you would you you seem to know a lot more about this part- these particular aspects of it? So would you mind going through
2: it? Sure. Yes, please. Uh, So the various myths include, um, the first is that the Catholic Church discovered a sin eater. Now, if you're familiar with sin eaters, um, oftentimes these were people who would come to a house of oftentimes a uh, lofty, rich person and would basically take their sins away. A lot of times what would happen is they put food on the chest of the person who died and— The sin is essentially soaked into the bread and then the sin eater comes and performs a ritual and then eats the bread. And then it's considered, the sins are considered consumed and that person no longer bears the burden of those sins and then can thus go into heaven sinless. Um, So... The myth, or it were one of the origin stories, is that the Catholic Church discovered a sin-eater and found his practices sacrilegious, as the Catholic Church eventually uh, found sin-eating to be uh, sacrilegious and was outlawed or not allowed to be practiced anymore. As a result, the Church had him uh, executed, and all of the sins that were in this particular sin-eater had... uh, been released into the world. And this was uh, reported by Turgo Volkov. This was um, his particular account of how the, the mass possessions of 1666 occurred. Um, the one that I would say is the most accurate uh, based on the evidence is there was a casket uh, that was excavated from the earth and inside, and this is in uh, 1666, I believe, a casket was excavated from the earth and inside was a man covered in strange tattoos. Uh, Catherine, the church didn't know what to do with it. Um, but they found that uh, upon opening the casket, the, the man was alive. And this was considered an abomination. And so he was executed, and this caused the release of thousands of demons throughout the world. Um, As we'll get into in a little bit, uh, this man is referred to as the first son of Solomon, and we'll get into why that's significant uh, in a bit. But um, there's also a rumor that there was an exorcism that was performed on a serpent line, and uh, if... You're familiar with ley lines, uh, these lines, these um, geographical lines that span the earth that are said to be made up of positive and negative energies. You have the serpent line, which is made up of dark energy, of evil energies, in that this exorcism was performed on a serpent line and had the opposite effect. So instead of exorcising the demons, the caused a reverse exorcism and the proliferation of demons across the world in possessing all these individuals around the worlds. And that was uh talked about by in in the writings of Pontiff Calabrodin.
0: Thanks, Anna. Um so these so these origin stories, we don't know um which ones are true, which ones are just myth, uh if if they're all myths. Um but uh Anna, you have a bit more information. Yeah, oh, go ahead.
3: They're kind of well mixed in. They're they're kind of well mixed into this kind of like the ethos
0: of it. Yeah. 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 Um so we have these let's we'll start off with the the cases of of mass possession um for instance uh the case of mass possession in 1666 in the, the you you pronounce this Sasha Suzdal or uh, Suzdal. Suzdal Ma- Ma- Sousa, possession. Just
3: consider that to be like a province of <clears throat> Moscow. It's not too far. Oh, I see.
0: And you said it's like a thousand years old?
3: It's about, yeah, it's about a thousand years old, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. It's a lot, so- of, a lot of churches, a lot of old kind of picturesque buildings, um, but around it is a lot of moors and a lot of really small villages and communities and just, you know, you know, a lot of uh, – it's provincial places and it's, you know, steeped in mystery and all sorts of mythology, you know, that you have with Sl- you know, Slavic mythology, basically.
0: Hmm, interesting. Um, so <clears throat> here we have reports of a woman by the name of Galina Orlov, and uh, she was said to be – Exhibiting odd behavior, uh, creeping into houses, uh, and supposedly whispering dark secrets to those um, who had dark secrets to keep. Who she shouldn't have, she shouldn't have known any of that. Um, and she would sneak into these houses in unknown ways and and go to the sleeping people and start whispering these secrets. And it said <clears throat> that those she spoke to became possessed as well and started to display bizarre behaviors you know, such as living in small snow caves uh, where the in, in, with, you know, threadbare clothing. Um, they were also said to be crawling on the ceilings of their homes and uh, on the village walls. Uh, they were even said to strangely uh, run on all fours and hunt down dogs and eat them. Um, and they, you know... Also telltale signs of possessions. They possess superhuman strength, senses, spoken tongues, what have you. Um, and it was rumored that the town priest tried to exorcise Galena Orlov, but instead he was uh, killed and eaten by the possessed. Um, then uh, a man appeared in the town, and this is where it gets kind of even more weird. Uh, the man, according to the reports, was covered in these strange tattoos. And what he did was he barely talked to the town folk. He simply wanted to know where the possessed were and that he would take care of the problem. And he used himself as bait and lured all the possessed into a large barn. Uh, the townsfolk uh, claimed that a terrible stream screaming took place. Uh, could be heard for days and upon days of the howling of the men and women And when the man reemerged, the possessed were all laying unconscious, and the mysterious man left the village. And oddly, they claimed they could hear the screams of demons following the man as he left the village. That was one of the things that they they reported. And Anna, this is right. This is from the interviews with the damned, correct?
2: Yes, this particular case was from the interviews uh, with the damned. And this is something that... We're going to see many times in the exorcisms of 1666 of these strange tattoos, um, as I'll get into the history of a little bit of this. Um, you see, once the mass possession of 1666 occurred, a mass union between the world's major religions met in secret during that year to discuss and deal with the possession crisis. And this was the beginning of what would become come to be called the One Church. Now. This is where people will accuse me of, of conspiracy theory that there's this organization that's a conglomeration of the world's uh, religions and monotheistic religions especially. They have formed this kind of um, organization called the One Church. But one of the One Church's first acts were to back-engineer the signs of Solomon and use them to detain demons. Now... This goes back to the man who was covered in tattoos and who was buried in this this casket um, and had these strange signs on him. These came to be called the signs of Solomon. And what they found out is that the signs of Solomon could be used to imprison a demon. Those who bore the sign of Solomon um, could... uh, take a demon inside them and imprison it. And that's essentially how they got out. they, they bet that's how they figured out they back engineered this um, man that they found, who they executed and then realized that they had released all the demons and then kind of back engineered the um, the symbol. And so they started creating almost like this militants uh, arm of exorcists who, Bore the sign of Solomon, um, you know, and that is what we call the 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 story of this man with the tattoos is what we commonly call a Salaminian, um, who are trained individuals who bear the seal of Solomon, and it's an ancient symbol of great power that seals and imprisons demons within the bear. Um, so we we see this a lot in in the the book the in and actually several of the books but uh we see it in the the writings of the interview with Dan
0: oh thank thanks anna um so let's uh so we we let's go to another uh example um we have the the possession of talonborough um which which is in england um so Rumors from the surrounding towns of Talonboro were reporting, uh, livestock and even people going missing, which is kind of like a staple of these types of situations. Um, one woman reported seeing a, a flying lady pick up her little cousin from the air, like a, like a, like a hunting eagle and fly away in the direction of Talonboro. Um, others claimed to see people crawling into the mouths of cattle and then walking them to the town of Talonboro. Really bizarre stuff. um. And soon the. um, Sorry, I'm just looking at my notes. And uh, the towns were, you know, all worried and, uh, you know, informed of this evil presence. And Judas Bardot was summoned to perform a cleansing of the town. Now, this how they summon Judas Bardot is is it's it's. Unknown, he simply says he came to this town upon the beckoning of his authorities. Um, upon entering the town, uh, Bardot would have a conversation. So for instance, you know, in his in his journals, he would talk about how he would go into this town, this Talonborough, for instance. And, and there are many such uh, examples, many towns he went into. And um, he would have a conversation with one of the citizens and then continue that conversation with a completely different person as if, as if that person somehow had the information transferred to them as if they were all one person and they were just in different bodies. Um, he found the people living in filth and there were corpses of animals and people they had murdered. Um, and when he finally got to the point where he, uh, talked to this entity, which was possessing all the, it seemed to be one entity possessing uh, uh, the the almost the whole town. The entity claimed to be from a place called Garusula. Um And Bardot spent days with the possessed and eventually stated that he exercised the demons by taking them into himself. Um, and this is where he became known as Judas the Demon Eater. Uh, and that's from the Journal of Judas Bardot. But it is interesting, as Anna pointed out, um, this idea of exercising demons by basically in, in, bringing them into yourself to be operating as a biological prison for demons. And um, he, going back to your point, Anna, he he does allude to a secret organization And referred to himself as a Solomonian, claiming he was a living prison for the demons he exercised. Uh, Right, Anna?
2: Yes, Judas Bardot was a uh, well-known Solomonian, at least within these texts. And the organization that he is alluding to, I believe, is the One Church. Now, the reason I don't want my identity known is that the One Church does not want people to know that it exists. There are... Um, I have my sources um, who would not have a pleasant fate if they were ever found out uh, as to be leaking that information. But the One Church is definitely an organization that uh, wants to maintain an anonymity and not to be known. But yes, Judas Bardo, I believe, based on my research, was a member of the One Church.
0: But um, so we we have these Solomonians, and they're going around the world apparently, and they're taking these demons into themselves, and via this weird sigil, this this the sign of Solomon. Um,
3: well, it 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 almost sounds as if you know they're they're following him as if they're. It, it's almost reminiscent of the the Piper of Belen, you know, the legend. Mm. Yeah. You know, that he was, you know, he, they, they paid this Piper to get rid of their red problem. They didn't pay him. And then he somehow lured all the children away. Um, this sounds almost kind of, this guy was a Piper that lured out the demons. Yeah. Uh, oh, no, Solomonians, I mean, lured out the demons. And it's kind of kind of what they do. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's just... Bizarre stuff.
0: It's just really weird stuff. And, and you know, and it goes on. You know, we had the the Demons of Dunmire, which was in Maryland, um, which was a colony at the time. The United States didn't exist at that point, but was the Maryland colony. Dunmire uh, was a small outpost just outside the Maryland colony. Uh, this is where criminals, killers, thieves, and other outlaws were kept. Um, and there were reports of people running on all fours, climbing trees with the ease of, like, a monkey, and some were said to eat fire and capture people from the colony and sacrifice them, all sorts of debauchery, and, you know, what you would come to expect from a, a possession-type case. Um, And, it, you know, this one had a weird one. It was, it was oddly reported that the people in the outpost combined with one another to create this, like, hideous conglomerate creature, which was described as, like... Writhing arms and legs that, like their, their all their legs would combine and it would it would move in this like spider like way. But it was all it was comprised of all of them. But like their all their their bodies were all twisted and and broken, which is something that we see in in some uh, um, possession cases. Uh, you know, the most famous example being uh, the movie The Exorcist, where her head turns completely around and where she walks backwards down the stairs um where you know you have these odd contortions of the body or the, the the ability to do things to the body that wouldn't normally be able to be done um and then Anna would you explain the the rest of this because you'd have a better grasp of it i believe
2: yes the uh so the strange occurrences were reported and help was sent by the local pastor so they they sent letter back to england and um the the ships were sent, and a group of strange men arrived by boat wearing black and red garb. And if you remember earlier, I believe uh, it was mentioned that—or did— um, I believe it was Bardot who was wearing uh, red and black, if I remember correctly. And these people were wearing the same type of attire, and— um. <clears throat> They arrived, and they went to the outpost of Duntmare. Over the course of several days, uh, again, the, the, the Cal people, the, the colony of Maryland, um, heard horrible sounds. Um, one witness said individuals were being separated and strange rituals were being performed. Now, these rituals, according to Pontiff Calabroden, who was the, the one at the time who, was, uh, who, who reported the, all these activities included a ceremony where the possessed would be strapped down and then branded with a strange symbol. Now, as I've mentioned before, we, uh, we have the Salominians who just happen to, to bore a symbol of some sort on their body. And this seems to be, I would conjecture, based on my research, that the symbol that Calabrodin is referencing is the sign of Salomon. The only difference in this particular situation is that the men who came were not did not have the tattoos but rather what they were doing was branding these people with this, with the symbol and they did this with each of the 15 people who were possessed and that was about the size of the little enclave um Kel reported that uh once they were branded some were bound up and imprisoned um some were stored and forced to sleep in holy water others were strapped to beds of crucifixes um you know and He got a little information out of them. It was for those where the demon could not properly be properly contained. And the possessed were put in large metal coffins that were wrapped in chains and buried in the ground. Um, The rest were taken, according to the Calabron, they boxed them up, essentially. And they took them back in crates on the boats. And this, to me, strikes of... A kind of—the idea is that the Salaminians are these trained exorcists. Um, they go through years of training, from what I understand, from what I've been told, and are essentially warriors for the one church. And they are practiced their, their condition to do this. But in a pinch, especially in the mass uh, possession of 1666, the issue was— that there just weren't enough of them. So what they did was they would brand these people with the sign of Solomon, which would trap the demon inside of them. And then to basically fortify the prison, the living prison, they would put them on bed of uh, crosses or make them sleep in holy water. Or if it couldn't be contained, they'd wrap them in a coffin and bury them, which is the same thing that happens, which was... Uh, one of the origins of um, the mass possession to begin with was a man found with these sigils all over his body, found in a coffin, still alive, uh, presumably kept alive by the demons inside of him, um, and then summarily executed. But like I said, in this case, they, they seem to have just branded the people and then contained them.
0: Thanks, Anna, for uh, clarifying that stuff. Um... Yeah, this was Anna.
2: Do we
3: have any like any any
0: indications of what the tattoos were like? Anything of that no- notion? Um, not that I know of, uh, Anna. Do you, do you know?
2: Uh, well, I have. There are some um, interpretations of it. Uh, what the sign of Solomon uh, looks like. It's a very complex, Cliff. It's ancient, but uh, I haven't actually been able to get a, a beat on that. Actually, even through my sources, um, it's a very uh, sacred sign. So that. A, um, yeah, I don't have access to that, regrettably. Sorry.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Um, so there are, you know, you said, Anna, that there was some other instances of this type. Uh, before we were, uh, before we talked on the show, uh, you said there were other instances of this type of branding where it, it wasn't done. It, it, the, the demons weren't taken in by professional, I say professional, but trained Salaminians, Is that correct?
2: Yes, uh, other instances of this type of possession uh, related to, like, the imprisonment of the demons via the sign of Solomon on the victim was seen in the Kalimor possessions of Talatos the uh, Britain, the Hague sisters' possessions in the small township of Isium in the Ukraine, uh, the darkening of Arcanus, Greece. uh, It goes on. um, All included strange holy men wearing black and red. And branding or tattooing strange symbols onto the possessed. And this can be all found in the interviews of the damn text.
0: Hmm. That's really interesting that they, they had this. So it was uh, the epidemic, the, the pandemic, I should say, was on such a level that they couldn't they couldn't just send out these guys. They had to actually basically imprison them within the victims themselves. Is that correct?
2: Yes, that's exactly what they were doing.
0: Hmm. That's terrifying um so they weren't actually exercising the demons they were just imprisoned in the in the victims which i imagine you know, isn't the best fate no it um, probably
3: isn't not, not not very popular
0: i'm sure among the people yeah I'm, I'm sure being buried alive with a demon for eternity isn't isn't the ideal outcome of of what they thought was happening with the exorcism um We have another one, uh, The Possession, and and again, these are from, this one is uh, Turgov Volkov um, from his journals and or uh, where we talk about Dominic Elderwood of Kellingford, Ireland. Um, And he was known locally as a kind and generous man of, you know, modest wealth. Um, However, some had noticed he'd been talking to himself lately, uh, gathering strange items like Bird's nests, uh, discarded clothing. He was even found uh, sawing off the hooves of of pigs. Um, then one day he was found on his roof, completely nude, uh, draining the blood of various ducks he'd captured from the local pond. So he had. He was a you know they were the locals were worried as to what was happening. You know at, at this point you know demonic possession is. The go to instead of like mental illness or something along those lines, and um, you know th- th- there were other things that they said were happening though that would go to the idea of demonic p- possession. Um, he was said to levitate above the trees at night, looking down at any wanderers or passers by. Uh, and out of concern, the local priest was contacted uh, to check on the man. So he went, and upon visiting the the priest was left blind, um, yelling that he had been shown visions of hell by Mr. Elderwood. Um, The church apparently wrote for help and a strange man came to the town. Again, we have this process where, you know, the, the church or whoever is informed and, you know, they send somebody. Now, Anna, you would say that this, what would be the chain of command, that it would go to the church and then...
2: Yes, it would go to Vichur and would go to the church, and then beneath the church, at that point, the one the one church was truly in charge, and the one church would then send out their Salaminians.
0: Ah, I see. So it seems that um, after they wrote for help, this man appeared. And the man had an essence of darkness about him, it's written, and was covered in strange tattoos. Again, going back to Anna's point that he probably bared the um, sign of Solomon, it seems. This mysterious symbol that allows you to keep the demons within. Um, The man identified himself as Turgo Volkov. And when entering the home of Dominic Elderwood, the town heard a great commotion. Um... Interestingly, they heard the voices of not one, but two demons. Um, one witness who dared to peek in the window said Volkov's eyes were black and he was holding Elderwood down with a giant monstrous arm and in, in that he was inhuman looking. And after a few days, Elderwood was exercised and Mr. Volkov seemed even more foul than he had And en- when he entered the village. It, it, it was interesting because the, the commentary around him was that he was this he did not exude holiness. He did not exude uh, piousness or anything. He exuded darkness. He was he was um, tainted almost. And you know, this Turgo, uh Turgo Volkov's exploits were documented by an interested party. He didn't write them himself, he, he was followed by this interested party who remained anonymous and who eventually published it as the Chronicles of Turgot Volkov. Uh, Turgot was reported in various places around the world, often described as a cold, dark individual covered in strange tattoos. Uh, even in some accounts, he's described to have inhuman, almost demonic features. He was supposedly responsible for hundreds of exorcisms in uh, 1666. Can you can you speak to that, Anna, as to why he would have such a odd physical or, or spiritual presence about them?
2: Well, yes. Um, I believe the Salaminians, when they do take in these demons, I believe that they take on traits of them. Um, you know, think about it as almost taking in so much corruption that, you know, you start to have features of that corruption or that they can perhaps even... Utilize the the demons in them in in, in some way. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I, I imagine the darkness that the he Turgo exuded, um, had a lot to do with the fact that he had in prisons, you know, theoretically hundreds of demons inside himself via the the signs of Solomon. He is one of the most prolific of the Solomonians. Hmm.
0: So so they they hmm. it, interesting that they would take on some of the, the, the demonic features. Um, you know, if if this, like I said, if this isn't all you know bullshit or or what have you, or if these are not works of fiction, um, and then you know, we we also have the possession of Matthias Helverson, um, and uh, in, this one's interesting because this was uh, again from the uh, interviews with the Damned, correct, Anna?
2: Yes, this possession of Maphius Helverson is really interesting because it's an interview with a demon known as Rathugsa. Um, and the, an interview with the damned is mostly an account of interviews with demonic entities. And, you know, they don't necessarily always take on the characteristics of Judeo-Christian mythology. They take on various characteristics of all sorts of different uh, odd things. Um, In this particular case in a small village called Hitzvig in Norway, a man by the name of Matthias Helverson was said to be a hermit. Um, He lived out in the woods by himself and it, you know, came down to he made a deal with a demon to bring his daughter back. His daughter was, he only had one daughter and she had died in a a tragic uh, accident. She had drowned and he summarily buried her. And according to the legend, he needed to, um, according to the deal he made, he had to, uh, needed to kill one of his kinsmen, wait until the body rotted, and then eat its flesh, which is a very odd and disgusting um, uh, ritual, but that that is what he was supposedly told to do. Uh, various townsfolk saw the corpse of Matthias' daughter walk through the town, her body rotting and strange white worms occasionally slithering out her ears and mouth. Um, Matthias was found in the cemetery eating dead bodies. So it, it it's very much goes against what, again, we, we see in Judeo-Christian type of things where we we see speaking in tongues and whatnot. This has a lot to do with fruiting bodies and rot in, in this kind of theme of worms. Um, well, as and, well as the you know, theme
3: of of as well as the theme of eating the mm-hmm. body, like eating the body of Christ. Yeah, so there's, yeah. There's, there are themes of consumption. There can be about that
2: third. Yeah, and Matthias was found, or uh, eventually letters were sent uh, to the holy authorities at the time, who were, uh, I believe, were mostly Protestant, and a strange man was sent wearing odd garbs again, the red and black. Um, and tattoos all over his body. Uh, there was also an entourage with a man who were similarly dressed. And um, one of the people there was to bear witness to this. Um, apparently was just a witness didn't have any of the Salominian type of characteristics. Uh, so when confronted, the demon performed strange miracles. For instance, it summoned strange white worms from the soil and um, showed off matthias dead daughter and her ability to speak and walk around um he was also eating the dead flesh of a corpse while talking to the priest so he had an actual corpse sitting there and was devouring it as the priest stood there um and the demon called itself Brathoxa and said that it hailed from a place called the Bolja of the fruiting dead which is um interesting uh and that they would refer to that, again, uh, judeo christian it's, you know, it doesn't say Gana, it doesn't say Asheron or Armageddon or or hell, but a bulger of the fruiting dead. And it said where it came from, there were mountains of rotting corpses and gadflies the size of elephants, and that the great god Sathagtha dead walked the body of something that he referred to as a bornless across the cosmos, which eternally eating of its flesh, which um, I've been unable to discern what that means. But um, it is said to live in in cities of fruiting bodies and alien saprophytes and hurricanes of flesh-eating flies. And this is where it said it came from. And uh, eventually it was said that a, a ritual involving salt, which is um, interesting, was thrown upon the possessed man, and then a circle created around him um, of the staff. And eventually, the demon was exorcised and taken into the strange priest. The daughter was killed and drowned in a mountain of salt. And that's how that's a particular uh, account handed. So, what we have here ultimately is this subterfuge type of organization orchestrating mass exorcisms across the world using this kind of esoteric technology i won't see technology but esoteric knowledge and um symbolism to expedite the process or or to kind of make these these uh flesh and bone prisons um it's Said that the Salaminians uh, revere. Um, interesting. Um, interestingly, we, my sources told me that they revere and worship an angel called Orcus, which is the angel of exorcism. Um, and the name was found in a Bible in Egypt, but was deemed blasphemous or incongruous, which is common with the Bible. Um, they, uh, it's usually considered apocryphal script, which is just that the information doesn't conform to the biblical mainstream ideas of what it should or shouldn't be so it's taken out and um but that this is one of their i don't know if it's a gods or something they revere but this angel called orcas um but yeah that's that's uh that's mainly what i have is is this idea that you know underlying the church these many churches—not just not just Christianity, not just Catholicism or protestants it encompassed all uh, religions, all well, at least the mon- Abrahamic uh, monotheistic ones, and they came together and formed this one church, which has just grown more powerful over the ages. Um, and again, which is why I want to keep my uh, identity anonymous.
3: Well, thanks, Anna. Really. Well, yeah, that's completely. That's yeah, Anna. Thank you so much. That's completely understandable.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll definitely make sure that um, we keep everything anonymous, and and uh, we really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, mm-hmm. It's been great. You've been a font of knowledge. I I didn't know half of these things. Um, and the cases are just so bizarre that they're just they're just really interesting. They 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 deviate a lot from what we're used to seeing. Uh, via the Catholic church and what the, you know, the types of possessions that we, they, they talk about, Um, especially that last one with the weird worms. That was especially odd, but just the idea of these people, these people called the Salaminians. And do you know, Anna, do you know if there are still Salaminians?
2: Oh, I I believe so. Yes. And in fact, um, from what I was told um, in, the Salomonians are not only, they themselves are branded with the sign of Salomon, but they also, when they procreate, essentially, the sign is transferred onto the offspring. Except apparently that, uh, from what I've been told, they, they don't necessarily bear the seal itself. It's, it's almost like it's genetically, uh, genetically passed on. They just innately can. These newer generations can innately imprison these demons. Um, and again, I understand this gets all into conspiracy theories, and, and it all sounds extremely far-fetched. Um, but I, you know, I have—I can't reveal my resources, my sources, and I can't reveal the evident physical evidence that I have, and some of the things I've actually witnessed. But I can say for sure that this organization does exist. These people called the Salamanians do exist. And exorcisms still take place to this day. And the One Church isn't just the Salamanians. The One Church is a multifaceted, massive global organization that I'm not quite sure what their intentions are. But it's, you know, on the surface it seems noble. But at the same time, why be so secretive about it?
0: Well, thank you, Anna. Again, we, we greatly appreciate you being on the, the show. Um, that was in that was incredible. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah. so as always, we're, we're left with some concluding thoughts.
3: Uh, well, more, more thoughts than anything. You know, I was kind of silent for most of this because, you know, Anna's report is just incredible, what she just told us. And, Left us, obviously, with more questions than answers, but uh, amazing information. In my preparation for the show, uh, and from uh, what I've kind of read and researched uh, of the Dargo um, Volkov, uh, he's, he's been kind of pinpointed all over the world. Um, but just in the region that he was predominant, I guess, in terms of where he left some very interesting impact, is in uh, Krasnoyarsk, which is a very far region of Russia... Uh, It's basically Siberia, uh, and uh, there is a small town that is called uh, Volkova, which could possibly originate from him, or at least named after him, a little town that was basically based around a small church, out of which came a young priest who then traveled to St. Petersburg by the name of Grigory Rasputin, Rasputin, and man had a very weird mythology. He was, you know, abnormally tall. Uh, Russians were not very tall at that time. This man was almost, you know, was exceedingly almost seven foot tall, dark eyes, had his own entire mythology in terms of his own Christianity or whatever he wanted to call it, where essentially he believed that people needed to sin. And In his own right, if you look into his writings and those around him who have conscripted some of his writings, he would often say one must ingest sin in order for him to go to church. He would say you have no other point of going to church unless you have ingested sin right before. Now, from what Anna told us, you know, what we know about the Salaminians. Gregorius Putin also followed a very interesting kind of look to him besides just having those like very very ice cold dark eyes, um, possessing what has been reported supernatural abilities like healing, talking to animals, things like that. But beyond that, just his appearance was he wore black, uh, black suits. What, what do you want to call it? Uh, like these these would be priests kind of adorned priests clothing, but it would be lined with red silk and um, the parallels are just they're kind of there, you know, so so do he, you
0: think he you think he could have been Turgo changed his name and just kind of living out as i
3: i mean no right i mean th- this 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 would give him an incredibly supernatural longevity uh this was way yeah. past Targo he could be a descendant he he could you know he comes out of this bizarre place, small town built around this really weird church, then a town that bears volkova the name meaning belonging to volkov and he had Ooh, this very weird take on christianity and he had this this on on uh, you know kind of an all-encompassing all kind of grip over the russian monarchy over the tsarina, over the you know over the czar right until their end you know, so um, definitely had this weird mythology where he would literally says one must ingest sin if they were to go to church. And 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 if you can understand anything about that society at that time before the communists came, is that everything was revolving around the church, you know, the that 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 the church was also crowning the princes and the and then the queens and the kings, and it was kind of revolving around that and he was in control virtually of a country at one point. And this very very hmm, wow. bizarre guy that came out of nowhere, out of Siberia, out of a town called Volkova, and yeah, black adorned black kind of clothing lined with what was only described as red silk.
0: Hmm, that's very interesting. Huh. Well, it could be. It'd be interesting to see if it was a descendant of this Turgot, and more evidence to you know wonder if he was part of the this this one church if it exists
3: yeah possibly hmm.
0: well um that's almost all our time uh we hope you enjoyed the show and as always we'll conclude with our what what do you what do you think well, Sasha do you a, think well
3: my question to you is what 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 do you think of it you know what what can you make of this
0: well based on uh, anna seems a bit, a believable uh, source. Um, it's, the consistencies are
2: staggering. Oh, yeah, just the, uh, the amount of
3: information we, we've got. I mean, that's amazing. I'm, I'm really appreciate Again, Anna, thank you so much. I appreciate you being on the show.
2: Oh, that's my pleasure.
0: Yeah. And I think, um, I think across the various books, you have so many similarities and they came from so many different origins. I mean, I don't know if any of these people knew each other, but, you know, at the time the communication was, you know, uh, um, amazingly slow. So, you know, I doubt these people had communication with one another or, you know, collaborated. So I, you know, I think this one church thing and this, these Solomonians, you know, could very well be real.
3: Yeah. Well, you know, you know me, you know, for me, it's, I'm not saying it's aliens. Yep, it's it's going to be. I don't know. But it they're could demonic be, could aliens. Tattoo tattooing aliens. You know, it could be aliens just running around tattooing people. You know, possessing tattooing, p- possessing people. them. Yeah. Uh, is, I mean, how far is abduction from possession? You know. Uh, someone, uh, yeah,
0: I'm not saying it's aliens, but it's, it's aliens. It's folks. True, it's always true. Aliens are the source of all things. Always. So. That's right. We will uh, we will leave you with those thoughts. And as always, thank you very much for joining the, the Weird Book. And we will talk to you later. All right. Thanks so much, everybody. Talk to you later. Bye.
2: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen.